Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And today, as we move through this book, verse by verse, passage by passage, we come to verse 3. So if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, we're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning. Verses 3 to 14. You'll notice our, our services are filled with the Word of God. We sing psalms based on the Word of God. We start with a scripture reading straight from the Word of God. and You'll notice that our, our messages, our preaching, is expositional, which means that simply we're trying to draw out the truth from the Word of God and explain it in a way that you can understand and apply. And so we move verse by verse, passage by passage, and we come here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let me read it. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead in Christ will shine on you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is a light to our path, that guides our steps. May we follow its direction. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Apply this in our life so that we would not go astray, so that we would not find ourselves walking in the dark that we would follow the light of truth, that we would follow the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in a way that is pleasing to God, walking in the light. Help us to do that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are two paths set before us in this passage. Two paths. One leads to certain doom. The other leads to certain delight. 
One is shadowed by death. It's covered in filth. It's filled with lies. The other is awakened to life. It is decorated in goodness, and it is guided by the truth. One is the path of darkness. The other is the path of light. Before we go any further, consider this question. Which path are you on? Which path are you on? And which path will you tread? Which path are you on? And which path will you tread? Kids, what Bain said in Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, okay, <laughs> has symbolic truth in all of us. We were born in the darkness, molded by it. That is true. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that every single one of us, by nature, is a sinner. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. We were walking in the dark, blind, as it were. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. And in that regeneration, we have seen the light. Our eyes have been opened. And the truth becomes clear. Jesus said in John 9, 5, he says, I am the light of the world. And he said again in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, if you're here today and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, your eyes have been opened to the truth. And you are no longer belonging to the darkness. You're a child of light. Praise God. Thank God for that. Because he pulled you out of a very sick, twisted, filthy world of darkness that we are going to see here today in the text. We no longer belong there. Read with me the words of 1 John 1, 5-7. This is a parallel passage to our passage today. It says this, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Listen to this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Which path are you on? Which path will you tread? This passage, along with ours today, has a message, and it is this. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. And do not tread the path of darkness, for it leads to certain doom. Read with me again Ephesians 5, 3. Let's look at some of the characteristics of those walking on the path of darkness. It says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, 
nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Listen, these sins ought to be like the Voldemort to the children of light, not even named. There's another kid's reference. Those of you unfamiliar, the Dark Lord Voldemort is the evil villain of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. He was so nefarious, so abominable, that he was not to be referred by his name, but he was called what? He who shall not be named. Paul lists in this passage for us six nefarious, abominable sins that must not be named among us. Let's look at the list briefly. Number one, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, this is the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the English word for pornography. This is a generic world for sexual sin. It encompasses a variety of forms. It, it would include fornication, uh, adultery, homosexuality, incest and prostitution, and worse. The second word here is impurity. This is just generic moral uncleanness. This reaches a little bit deeper into the heart of sin, the thought life, the lust that drives the action. This ought to not be named among us. Number three is covetousness. Covetousness, you see that in the text. In the Greek, covetousness is literally a desire to have more. Covetousness and sexual sin go hand in hand. It is a desire to take something that you cannot have, that doesn't belong to you. And then to take more, and more, and more, and more, to never be satisfied. So these are the three actions, attitudes that shall not be named among us. And then Paul goes after three more, and these sins relate to the mouth. He says in verse 4, let there be no filthiness. These are obscenities. Things that are shameful or disgraceful to speak of. The things that the world would participate in secret, we should not talk about. Number five is foolish talk. This is a fun word, morologia. This combines the Greek word moros and lego. Where moros is where we get the English word for moron. It's foolish talk. That should not be named among us. Number six, crude joking or jesting. Of course, we know what this is. It's joking or making light of something that is very shameful and disgraceful. This is the kind of talk that will make you blush in a conversation. It's the kind of talk that makes you want to take a shower after hearing these words. It's parlor talk, locker room talk. It's unfit, improper and uncharacteristic for the Christian. Unfortunately, this is what you hear everywhere, isn't it? We hear this kind of talk everywhere today. It's difficult to even keep your kids from hearing this kind of language. Anywhere you go, we were just in Hawaii, and there was a, a homeless man in Hawaii who was walking on the street uh, right by where we were walking, and he was screaming obscenities. 
screaming, cursing. And Joelle, my daughter, asked, Daddy, what is he saying? And I, I told her, nothing worth repeating. Some of you are confronted with this kind of language every day at work, at the gym, even at the grocery store, in your neighborhood, on your social media streams, on your Spotify playlist, in your Netflix shows. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in our society. But, you see that, that contrast at the beginning of verse 3, but this kind of language, these kind of actions belong nowhere near the church. Nowhere near the church. Hear the stern warning. Stay away from these things. Verse number four, they are not fitting. Verse seven, do not partake with them. Verse 11, do not participate in them. Verse 12, it's disgraceful to even speak of them. Stay far away from these things. Don't come close to the fence. Don't flirt with these kind of sins. Rather, the text says, the ornament of our speech ought to be thankfulness. Do you see that in the text? But instead, let there be thankfulness, verse 4 says. One characteristic, and it's interesting, if you look at the nature of these previous sins, they're all very selfish, aren't they? Selfish desires, self-pleasing. It's about you and what you want. What is thankfulness? Thankfulness is very selfless. It's very God-oriented, isn't it? Let there be thankfulness. Thanks be to God for the gifts that he gives us. All of these sins, even sexual sin, is taking advantage or twisting a gift that God has given us to be fulfilled in the context of marriage, obviously. So our speech should be ornamented by thankfulness. Uh, it should be marked by gratitude. It should be marked by the truth, talk that builds up, appropriate for each occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. We, we saw that in Ephesians 4, 29. And why is this the case? Why do we talk differently? Why do we act differently? The text tells us why. Because you are a child of the light. It goes back to your identity. Who you are. Who you've been made by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this is a great passage. This is a great passage to take to your co-workers. This is a great passage to take to your neighbors. Maybe you've been asked the question, I have before, why don't you blank like we do? Why don't you curse like we do? Why don't you talk like we do? Why don't you participate in the crude jokes? Why, why do you not cheat on your spouse like the rest of your co-workers? Well, you could point them to this passage in Ephesians and say, this is why. This is why. It's not because I'm morally superior. It's not because I'm better than you, but I've been, I've been made a child of light. And it is by grace that I've been saved. I once lived in that dark world. I once was characterized by, by those things, but no longer because Jesus Christ changed me. He saved me radically, transformed me from the inside out. So what I want to do is what verse 10 tells me to do is try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, that which doesn't offend him. I want to do those things. This is a great segue to a gospel conversation with your coworker. This is the reason, Christian. We don't participate or even endorse or even talk about the things of the world. Challenge you to evaluate your 
work relationships. I challenge you to evaluate your music playlists, your Netflix streams. Take it through this grid. These tests, are they filled with these kinds of things? These things should not characterize us as believers. And you know what you're going to get when you tell that to your coworker and when you tell that to your family member? You're going to get a blank stare, probably. You're going to get a confused look. You might even be made fun of because you don't participate in the same things that everybody else participates in. Why? Why is that the case? Why are they so blind to the truth? Well, because this pastor tells us their identity, they're walking in darkness. They don't understand because they are, in fact, blind to the truth. And so you preach the gospel. You tell them about Jesus Christ, the light of the world, that they might be saved and transformed and see the light. They're walking on this dark path like you once were, and unfortunately, the text tells us, they walk toward their doom. They walk toward their doom. Look at verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this. Is this something we can be sure of? Yes? The, the Bible tells us we can. You can bank on this. Take this to the bank. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. That is a scary verse. He says again in another way, let no one deceive you. Do not be misled. Do not be mistaken with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Point number two, their final destination. This is not an empty threat from God. This is not a threat to be tested. This is something we can be sure of. God has made good on this promise before. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Has God not exercised his wrath to judge those who were filled with filthiness. They were all kinds of corrupt, flagrant sexual immorality. And what did God do? He burned that city to the ground as an example to show his detest, that he detests this kind of sin. And do you think that God will not keep good on his promise to punish these things? His wrath rests upon the wicked. Those given over to these perversions and this language, this is sin and punishable to death. Now before we go any further, at glance, sorry, at first glance, and without context, this appears to be an indictment upon us all. Because <laughs> tell me, who here has not lusted in their heart? Who here can say they've never coveted something they did not have? Who here can say they have not sinned with their words ever? Who here can say that they've never committed idolatry, which is worshiping anything or anybody outside of God? I'll be the first to admit, and every single one of you should as well, we've all sinned in these areas, haven't we? We've all fallen short of the glory of God in this way. Therefore, are we not all doomed as well? 
Isn't that, is this not our, our final destination? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all incurred the wrath of God. Shouldn't we condemn this, be condemned as well? What makes us different? The answer is in verse 8. Look to verse 8. Thanks be to God. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, past, but now you are light in the Lord. Amen. Oh, amen. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says the same thing. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and every single one of us falls short of that list. But don't miss verse 11. Next slide. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In one name and one name only. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. I hope you don't read this passage and think first of those people. Oh, those people. This is, this is the passage talking about those people. Those, those dirty, filthy, worldly people. No. We have to read this passage and remember first that without Christ, we were those people. We were. And this was our path as well as theirs. This was our destiny. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who built a bridge from one path to the other who built the only bridge, by the way, from the path of darkness to the path of light. It is singular. One way, one truth, one life. Jesus Christ. He's the only way off this path of certain doom. We have to remember this as children of light. Only because of Christ have we been awakened, have we been able to see the truth and walk this out. And so... This was us, but no more. This was our doom, but no more. We did have the wrath of God resting on us, but no more. Not everybody has that same, it's not that same case. You might ask, well, how is God's wrath revealed against this kind of ungodliness? It seems like the world's having a ton of fun. It seems like they're getting away scot clean. I don't see fire coming from heaven on America. It seems to be the next Sodom and Gomorrah. It's filled with all kinds of filth. Why do we not see God actively judging these kinds of people now? Well, two ways that God reveals his wrath. There's passive wrath and there's active wrath. Okay? Passive wrath and active wrath. In order to understand this, you have to see Romans chapter 1. Okay? Romans chapter 1 so why don't you turn there in your Bible? I don't have it on the screen. Romans chapter 1, turn to the left a little bit. We have to see this play out in this passage. It explains very helpfully what it means that God is uh, giving them over. People are experiencing the passive wrath of God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 
verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Skip to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Does this sound familiar? And their foolish hearts were, what? Darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, idolatry. And here is one of the scariest phrases in all of the Bible. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. In the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. To dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What does this mean? What does it mean that God gave them up? You can visualize it this way. God Slowly letting go. God allowing these individuals to continue in their sin, to dive deeper, to become more entrenched, to get filthier and filthier and filthier, and he just, over time, lets go. And we see here in the text that even there are natural consequences to being given over to this sin. You see in verse 27, men likewise gave up natural relationship, relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving, look at this, in themselves, in those acts, the due penalty for their error. We know, not to become explicit, but we know there are natural consequences to this kind of sin. Not to mention broken relationships. Not to mention all kinds of confusion. Not to mention the depression, the anxiety that is often attached to these types of sin. There are natural consequences to sin. So the Lord gives them up to the natural consequences of the sin. But we see even their end. It is not passive wrath forever. It is not that God gives them over to the joys of the sin and then the natural consequences of the sin and then just lets go and walks away. But what does chapter 2, verse 5 say? Or start in verse 2. This is when the act of wrath of God comes in. Romans 2, 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Okay, so there is coming judgment for those who practice such things. He says, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Look at verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent, which just means non-repentant heart, 
you are, uh-oh, storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. There will be, verse 9, tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Eventually, God's patience runs out. For those who are committed, those sins, for those who are not covered in Christ, for those of us who are covered in Christ, the wrath of God is withheld because he's the propitiation for our sin. He's our sacrifice. He's our substitute. He takes our place. But for those who are without Christ, it is like the waters behind the dam are increasing, 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 and eventually God lets the dam go. This is how the wrath of God is revealed against the sons of disobedience. That's what the text says. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Be sure of this. Don't miss this. This isn't my opinion. This is what God's word says. Be very afraid of the wrath of God. Do not participate in, do not even talk about the things that incur the wrath of God. Be sure of this. And if you are here today and you realize, oh, I am not in Christ. I, I don't have the substitute. I, I don't know Jesus. I haven't believed in Jesus, truly trusted in him, surrendered my life to him. And you realize you're a child of darkness and the wrath of God is over you. What do you do today? Very simple. Jesus says in Matthew 28, come to me. Come to me. You say, Lord, I'm guilty. Come to me. Lord, I have so much shame over my sin. He says, come to me. Lord, I carry significant burdens. Burdens I don't know if you can deal with. He said, no, 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 come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden in their sins, and I will give you what? Rest for your souls. You say, Lord, but I, you, I'm not happy yet. He says, come to me. I'm not fulfilled. Come to me. I haven't found this rest. Come to me. Repent of your sin and run to Jesus Christ today. Embrace the bridge from the path of darkness to the path of light. Truly repent of your sin. Confess it. Turn from it. And if this is what you want to do today, please stay and talk with me, talk with any of our elders. We would love to take you through the gospel again and point you to Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for this kind of path, for this doom. Respond and believe today, please. Point number three. The darkness versus the light. We continue through this passage. It says in verse seven, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The contrast between darkness and light could not be more stark. You go from blind to seeing. You go from gloom to glee. You go from confusion to clarity. From hidden to exposed. There's a great change that takes place place in the life of a born-again Christian. And this is your new identity in Christ. You are a child of light. And Paul says, because you are a child of light, therefore walk in the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, 
says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, what? Walk in darkness. It's not their identity. But they will have the light of life. You cannot take the light out of the Christian any more than you could take the sunlight out of the sun. It's part of your identity. So Christian, walk in your identity. Walk in the light. Look at the fruit of light. All that is good and right and true. Philippians 4.8 reminds me of this passage. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not the things of the world, but dwell on these things. So, listen, the walk in the light starts in your mind. It starts in your mind. First, take your mind to the light. Dwell on these things. And where do you find these things? You find them in the Word of God. Dwell on this. Read this. You heard about this last week, didn't you? <laughs> this is important. The Word of God is what will lead you in the path of truth. Psalm 119 says it. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So start, Christian, each day with the light of God's Word. Meditate on it and live it out. So it starts in the mind, but look at what Philippians 4.9 says. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. We're not simply hearers of the word, but we are doers. So hear the word, read the word, and walk it out. That's what it means to walk in the light. Put very simply. Put very simply. In order to walk in the light, you need to know the word. In order to walk in the light, you need to apply the word of God. Point number four. Don't engage. Rather, expose this is interesting. Don't engage, rather expose. Look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Well, what does that mean? It's pretty even, it's shameful even to speak the things that they do in secret. What does this word expose mean? Essentially it means, you know, to shine the light in the dark place. You walk into a room that is very dark, you want a flashlight, you want your iPhone to be able to see, don't you? You want to expose what's in that room. And if you're really scared, you're going to point that light in all, even the dark corners of that room. You want to see everything. You don't want to be surprised by anything. That's what this means to expose. But it includes this. This word for exposure includes a correction. So it's not that we just shine the light on that monster in the room, but we correct it. We take care of it. We deal with it. That's what it means to expose. So Paul says, expose these things. Expose this sin, which means reveal them and deal with them. Okay? That's what it means to expose. Reveal them and deal with them. Listen, we cannot be passive with these kinds of sin. We cannot just keep quiet about them, push them under the rug, act like they're not there. If we see them manifest in the church... We can't push it under the rug just because it makes us uncomfortable. We have to expose them. In this case, silence is complicity. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, you'll see just point and case for this. 
In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul condemns them for allowing the sin of a man that was knowingly sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul says, expose him and get him out. Deal with the problem. The Corinthians were just pushing it under the rug. They were ignoring it. Paul says, no, 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 deal with that man. See, the tendency in Christian circles is to avoid these topics because they do make us feel uncomfortable. They're shameful. They're embarrassing. And so we don't ask good questions of people. These are good questions, but difficult. How are you doing with your purity? How's your marriage? Have you looked at pornography? Are you struggling with that right now? How are your relationships at work? How are your conversations at work? Are they above reproach? Are they pure? Are they honorable? We need to be more proactive with one another to ask loving and good but sometimes difficult questions regarding these sins because we, we do not want to let them go unnoticed. If we let these sins stay hidden, the roots grow and sins like this take over the heart if they're not cut off quickly. We must be active in this battle. Corinthians 3 tells us to put to death. That's an active, that's an action. Put to death, cut it off. What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another. That's a command. That's not just a Roman Catholic thing. Confession is a Christian thing. Confessing to one another. If we're struggling with these things, make it known. Expose it. It does you no good to hide these sins from trusted brothers and sisters that can help you. Galatians 6 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression." You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Don't do it with a two-by-four. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. Don't make yourself more superior than it, but come alongside. Help them out. This is what responsibility we have toward one another. Sometimes, listen, brothers and sisters are caught. Sometimes they fall into spiritual ditches. Do we not? All of us have in different ways. We all need brothers and sisters in Christ who are spirit-filled to help us out. We all need that. We all need that in Christian life. And we do this not to embarrass them, not to judge them, not to publicize their sin, but to help, to restore, to reprove gently. I think this is something that we ought to foster in our church. An open, very approachable, gentle Environment where people can be honest about the sin they struggle with. I want, to, I want you to consider how you can help that. How can you help foster a gentle, approachable, loving environment where people can be honest about the sin they're struggling with? And we can help each other. We can truly help each other out of these kinds of ditches. And how do you help someone? Maybe you're know, thinking practically, okay, so... You know, the sin is exposed. There is the ugly monster that needs to be dealt with. The flashlight is on it. I know I need to do something. What do I do? How do we deal with these kinds of sins? 
Hebrews 4.12 tells us how. Okay? The Word of God. The Word of God. For the Word of God. For the Word of God. I want that to be drilled into your head. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Here is the sword. Here is the light of truth. Use this weapon, use this light to expose and confront the sin in your own life and then to help others who are struggling with sin. We need to surrender our lives to this sword. We need to allow this sword to break down, to pierce, to expose our hearts and to repent and turn from darkness to light. Paul makes a seemingly obvious but very profound statement in verse 13. Look at Ephesians 5.13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Oh, well, obviously, Paul. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We can see it. Listen, hide and seek. Kids, you know this. Hide and seek is better in the dark, isn't it? It's a little bit easier to get away with things, to hide. Why? Because you're not exposed. It's more difficult to see what would be easily discoverable and evident in the daylight. Hiding sin and evil is easier in dark places, in other words. Dark places are places where the word is ignored. It's not preached. It's not lived out. So when you read the word daily, when you hear the preaching of God's word weekly, when you rub shoulders with Christians that speak and live out the word regularly, it has a way of exposing you. And that is a good thing. God grows us that way. Let me tell you how you will not grow. Let me tell you how a very dangerous, very, very dangerous place to be. It's to be in the dark. Without community. Without the word of God regularly exposing your heart. Christian, you need this daily. You need it to expose the sin in your life. You need brothers and sisters who are filled with this. Who can preach it to you, reprove with it, help you, come alongside you. We need the word. We need community filled with the word. Do not get comfortable in the dark. Well, I'm running short on time here. Verse 14 says, anything that becomes visible is light. Very obvious statement, but it has great spiritual implications. The light has a way of becoming visible. In other words, the truth has a way of being found out, doesn't it? You give time and you preach the word faithfully, the truth has a way of being found out. Genuine believers over time with constant exposure to the word of God will reveal themselves to be faithful, children of light. On the opposite end, disingenuous believers over time and with constant exposure to the word of God will reveal themselves to be fraudulent, children of darkness. I'll tell you, the principle has proven true in over 10 years of ministry that I've been involved in. 
I've seen guys, you know, that have been hiding things. And it's pretty obvious when somebody's hiding something. You kind of have this feeling about them. They're, the way they talk, very guarded. You can tell oh, that they're hiding something. Over time, the truth is exposed. Because they're in an environment where the Word of God is preached. They're surrounded by believers that love them enough to speak the truth. And eventually the truth is found out. Conversely, I've seen people come to conversion, come to faith in Christ, and it's like they come out of a cave with their hands up. Totally guilty, right? <laughs> and their eyes are wide open. They've come to see the truth. They see Jesus Christ, and then they just confess everything. They expose all their sin. And sometimes they're like, okay, I didn't need to hear that. But thank you for being honest with your heart. You see these people come to faith in Christ, genuine faith, exposing it all, not hiding anything. And then over time, you see their faithfulness play out. They truly came to the light. It's one of the most prominent fruits of a new believer, total confession, total exposure. Paul ends this section with a call to those of you in the dark places. I'll end with this. This is a call, this is repeated in the Old Testament to Israel. God called Israel time and time again to awaken from their stupor. Wake up, Israel. They were walking in darkness. They were committing grave idolatry. And so Paul uses the same call to those in the church that are walking in darkness. He says, awake. Wake up, O sleeper. Arise from the dead. Respond to Christ and he will shine on you. I have that same prayer for you this morning, for those of you walking in the dark that don't know Christ, that you would turn to him today and come out of that darkness. Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word that steers us in the way that we should go. We need your word. We need the guide to our path. God, I pray that every person today would walk away with just a high regard for the scriptures, uh, that they would dwell on it daily, and that they would live it out in their lives. May we all walk in the light as you are light. Please guide our steps. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.